see y'all here if you do happen to be a guest. So excited you're here this morning. Welcome. Uh, I hope you got one of our welcome gifts on your way in, but if you didn't, uh, make sure we get a chance to give you one on your way out. It's a great way for you to get to know a little bit more about our community and what we're doing here in Chatham County, and also make sure you get one. Of, it's also a way to make sure you get one of the gifts that we uh, uh, purchase from local merchants. Uh, it's a way that we support them, and it's a way that we engage with the community, and it's where they, then you get to know a little bit more about what's going on in Chatham County and some of the good stuff that we have to offer here. So make sure you grab one on your way out. Uh, at the end of the service, I'm going to be just outside the doors for a bit. So come say hi. Love to hear your name, uh, how you found us, and uh, what your experience was like this morning. Um, I don't currently have control of the slide, so could you advance me, please? There we go, right there. <laughs> uh, Stranger Things is a series that is part drama, part sci-fi, and part horror, and it's set in a small town in Indiana in the 1980s. And one of its main characters is a young girl that's known as Eleven, that is uh, how she's called, uh, who has psychokinetic powers, right? Remember I said uh, sci-fi horror uh, show, and she's played by Millie Bobby Brown with some uh, significant intensity. Uh, one of the interesting things about Eleven's uh, powers or abilities is that uh, sometimes they seem to manifest with greater intensity and in very specific and unique ways when the threat level on her is high or when she's experiencing intense emotions like fear or anger or anguish or grief. And they tend to be accompanied in those moments, that manifestation of great power, by her screaming out. Uh, could you advance me one more time, please? It is not. Yeah, there we go. So it's accompanied by her crying out and sometimes extending her hands. And as you can see in sort of the inset, like things burst and happen when she uses her powers in, the, in that particular way in those particular moments. It's like the powers rise to the occasion to meet the intense longing she feels for things like safety, for escape, or in most, most situations, to protect herself or protect her friends and people she loves. Can you imagine if in moments of intense emotion or intense uh, stress or intense need, when you've taken about as much as you can handle, just being able to cry out and in that cry see something happen that brings relief, that brings resolve, that brings rescue? What do you currently do in those moments? Because we all go through moments where it feels like we've had about enough, where the stress is too intense, or we feel threatened, or we feel deep grief for anguish. What do you do in those moments? What brings you relief and release? Some of you may yell out, though hopefully without the kind of accompanying manifestation of light bulbs bursting. What do you do in those moments? What brings you relief? And how does God factor in? in those moments, in those moments where you feel like you've had about as much as you can handle? What if, in all those situations, beyond all the other things we may long for in those moments, whether it's relief, or safety, or protection, or peace, or deliverance, or whatever we need, what if what our soul most longs for in those moments is actually God? What if what our soul is crying out for most in those moments is God? 
Would you advance me one more time, please? Yeah, thank you. Uh, this is week two in our Hungry for God series. And here's the case that we're making in this series. The case that we're making is that in moments of great need, and in every other moment, actually, what we most long for, beyond everything else, what, what the deepest longing of our soul is, is God. That is the deepest, truest longing in our lives. And when we pursue God with passion, with determination, with longing, both in the intense moments, but in every other moment, all the other things that we might long for, it's not that they get forgotten. All the other things that we long for, things like peace, things like relationship and family, things like satisfaction, things like relief, things like rest, the list goes on and on. All those other things don't get forgotten but rather they find their proper place in our lives and they get satisfied at the right moments and to the right measure. The passage Colleen read for us a little while ago tells the story of a woman who in a moment where things reach a tipping point, because that where, that's where she's at. It's a moment where things are a tipping point. She cries out to God. She cries out to God in deep anguish and in grief and in pain. And God responds. God responds to the cry of her soul. And that is not an experience that's only reserved for her. It's an experience that's available to us as well. Advance me one more time. We can cry out to God in moments of deep anguish and need, and God will meet us and satisfy us. Let me say that again. We can cry out to God in moments of deep anguish, in moments of deep need, in moments of grief, in moments of pain, in intense moments, and God meets us and satisfies us. Now, a God who is able to do that, to meet us in the most intense moments, in the most dire of situations, is trustworthy and worth longing for in every other moment. If God is able to provide what we need in the moments of desperate need, in the moments of deepest need, in the moments of deepest longing, when the stakes are the highest, then he is worth pursuing at every other time as well. Because if God can deliver the highest stakes moments, then he can deliver in every other moment as well. Friends, if we establish a pattern of pursuing the God who can meet the deep longings of our souls in the times when the situations aren't dire, when the stakes aren't the highest, when the pain isn't intense, when the stress level isn't at its peak, when we're not at a tipping point, when we're not in crisis, when we're not in anguish, then we more, will more readily turn to him when those moments come. And if you've been alive for any length of time, you know that those moments do come. And you know they don't just come once. They come again and again. Now, hear me. If you've never pursued God before, and you find yourself in a moment of deep crisis, and you've never cried out to God before, God is still available to you in the moment of deep crisis. Amen. You thought of him. Pursue him and then keep pursuing him. But if you start pursuing him now, if you start seeking him in these moments, then when those moments come, it will be almost automatic to think of him. Advance me one more time. The passage from 1 Samuel that Colleen read focuses on a woman named Hannah 
who pursues God in the midst of her deep anguish. And before we dive into the narrative, I want to address two components in the passage that can feel challenging, especially with the distance we have from the setting of the story. The first is that it tells us that Elkanah had two wives. You can advance me one more there. This is not a unique situation in the scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament. We often meet characters who have more than one wife. What do we do about that? Well, the first is to differentiate between what is prescriptive and what is, and what is descriptive. In these situations, what the Bible is telling us is what is real, what is happening in that moment. It is not telling us that that is a pattern to model. And the evidence of it comes from the Bible itself, of the instances in the Old Testament that have men, because it's always men, married to multiple women, none stand out as particularly healthy. And that's me being generous. Like, the degree of unhealth is so high in all those situations that it's almost like it's screaming out, this is what's happening, but it is not good. It is not ideal. It is not what we were made for. There is no indication from the text that this is the standard to aspire to, that this is what we were designed for, that this is the best scenario. They are all filled with lots of conflict and strife, and we see it in this very passage as well. There is conflict and strife in the midst of the multiple marriages. Monogamy as the standard seems to be set from the earliest chapters of Genesis. Even though it strays very quickly from the earliest chapters of Genesis, monogamy seems to be the standard, and it is one of the ways that God talks about his relationship with his people. In fact, one of the ways when God wants to talk about how his people are straying, one of the ways he talks about it is that's almost they're betraying a marriage, a covenant relationship with only him. And ultimately, it's where his people end up. It's the pattern that we've seen throughout history, at least from the New Testament and before until now. But that's not the only thing that's challenging about the passage. It says that the Lord had closed her womb. Now, before we dive into that, I want to speak in overarching terms about the issue of childbearing. Childbearing is a many-layer topic, and it's not often handled well in churches. So I'm going to try to be delicate in a few things I want to say. Uh, not every woman has the opportunity to bear children. Not every woman has the ability to bear children, and not every woman wants to. And there are likely multiple people in those categories in our church. And there are times where we handle this topic poorly. We don't acknowledge, we don't see, we don't speak to, we don't care, we don't tend to women in those situations. So if you've been in a situation like that, I'm sorry where it's been handled poorly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Here's what I want to say about childbearing as it's talked about in this passage. This is not meant to be a roadmap for how to address a woman being unable to bear children. It is not meant to be a roadmap. If you've been told, wanting to bear children and being unable to do so, that if you only prayed, you would get pregnant, that was wrong, and I'm sorry. If you found yourself not wanting to have children and were told, well, you should at least try because there are other women who would want the opportunity that you have and you're not taking advantage of it, that was wrong. And I'm sorry. That should not have been the case. You are seen. You are known. You are loved. You have a place here. 
But what do we do about this idea, this phrase, because God had closed her womb or because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb? There are a few ways that we could interpret or understand that particular phrasing in the passage. Uh, You could interpret it as, well, this is a later edition by the writers who are then taking down the story, uh, and they're interpreting what to do about a road to travel. The next is to simply take it at face value, that God had a purpose in having her remain childless until this moment. And the third thing that we could consider is that given that that phrasing is only mentioned in connection to how Elkanah and Penina treat her or relate to her, it has to do with how the family talked about it, how it was talked about within the family. Now, that's not the only part in the passage where it talks about Hannah being childless, but when it talks about it earlier, it doesn't say the Lord had closed her womb. When she prays, she doesn't ask God to open her womb, and when the Lord answers her prayer, it doesn't mention anything about the Lord opening her womb. I think the second and third options are worth considering and entertaining. I think you could argue those last two. I think you could argue all three of them, but those last two, uh, I think, have stronger cases. We don't have to land on one of them, but just want to give you some orientation of what you could do with those statements. Regardless, the sentences highlight some of the tension that is building in Hannah's life that leads her to this moment of deep anguish. Not having children was a big deal in that culture. It was a huge deal. It affected people's lives. Children would care for you in your older age. And this is especially true for women. Women relied on the children that they bore to care for them when their husbands died because they would likely outlive their spouse. Women were usually younger than the spouses that they had, and men have traditionally had a shorter lifespan than women. So the women would depend on the children they had to care for them into older age. And this is critical, particularly in this situation, because even though they are operating as one family unit, Hannah and Penina are treated in this passage as rivals. And there seems to be no indication that Penina has any positive feelings towards Hannah, nor that her kids have any positive feelings towards Hannah. So remaining childless puts Hannah in a very precarious situation once Elkanah dies. Because who is going to care for her? What is going to happen to her in the future? Having children in the Old Testament was often seen as a sign of God's blessing and favor. And therefore, the opposite stands to reason. It was often interpreted that if you didn't have children, then maybe God had cursed you. Maybe you or an ancestor had done something to um, upset God. But what was also true is that families whose lineage died, whose lineage ended, when there were no children, one of the ways that people understood that, one of the fears that they had, is that, it was that, is that their name, their family line ended, it was as if they had never existed in history. So it's if your existence is completely blotted out from history because there's no one left to remember you. There's no one left to tell your story. There's no one left to pass on your inheritance, your legacy, your line. And so as the tension is building, you get this sense from people in Hannah's life, and even for Hannah herself, that God has somehow forgotten Hannah. And feeling forgotten does something to you. 
Can you think of a time when you felt forgotten? When you felt abandoned? When you felt left behind? I remember one time I was at a, a sort of a, a, a party, a trophy ceremony for a sports league I was part of. We were uh, at an offsite. It was at an offsite. It was not at the bowl. It was not at the sort of at the place where we played the game or we, we, we had our competitions. It was at a house with a pool. There was pizza. It was fabulous. It was not the normal place where I was at. And I had been dropped off by my grandparents. And I can't remember if it was my grandparents or my mom or my dad. Someone was supposed to come and pick me up. And the time came. It was a great day. The time came and people started to leave. First of all, I was the only person, the only kid there without their parents or anyone with them. And then as the time came, people started to drive away with their parents and no one came to pick me up. And lastly, sort of the president of the league was there, sort of standing around, everything is picked up, and no one is coming. And for those of you who remember these days, this was in the days before cell phones. And like, we were at sort of an offsite, there was no phone around, and all I had was this adult asking me, like, are they coming to pick you up? And I was like, I, I think so, they're supposed to. But as the minutes passed and the minutes became half hours and the half hours became an hour, no one showed up until finally the sort of president of the league asked me, well, well do you know, like, can, you, can, can you show me where you live? And I was like, yeah, you know, sort of if you get me to a particular location, I can probably show you where I live. And so I went to him and he took me home. Um, I can't remember why no one came to significant trust. Now imagine being made to feel like it's God who has forgotten you. God who has abandoned you. God who has left you behind. And not only being made to feel like that, but seeing everything around you and starting to wonder if it might be true. That does something to you. That's where Hannah finds herself. And it's the greatest source of her distress. Do you remember if you've ever felt like God has abandoned you or forgotten you? Maybe you're feeling like that today. Maybe there was a situation where you, where you thought he should have acted, but he seemingly didn't. Maybe hear me. It's not true. God has not forgotten you. God does not forget us. God does not abandon us. God does not leave us behind. Here's what is true. We all have a core need to be seen. We all have a core need to be known. We all have a core need to feel like we are remembered. And the one who created us is the one who can best meet that need. He's the one who knows us the best. He's the one who fashioned us. He's the one who knows every nook and cranny of our heart, of our mind, of our soul, and of our body. And his eyes are set upon us at all times. The scriptures talk about God as one who does not sleep nor slumber as he watches over us. Now, I'm not discounting that it may have felt like God forgot us or abandoned us. Those feelings are true. We can feel that way. But it's not true that he has. Don't close off. Don't retreat. Don't turn back. Press in. Because God delights in meeting that core need that we have of being seen, being known, being remembered, and being cared for. No one else can meet that need. 
And we see a little bit of that in the story. Elkanah tries to meet that need for Hannah. We didn't read the part, but one of the things he does is that he gives her more of her share of the food during sort of the celebration times, right? She gets a double portion. Now, she gets a double portion. She gets a sort of, I don't know, maybe two steaks if you want to sort of translate it to our current cultural context. But she's doing that, he's doing that while she's seeing Penina and her whole family get a whole cow, right? It's not enough. It's not enough. He offers himself even as the one who can fill her need, right? And we read that and we chuckle because it's like he doesn't get it, but he's trying. It still doesn't do the trick. None of us simply ignore the deep needs of our soul. Moments of deep anguish or pressure bring them to the surface and create urgency, but we seek to meet the deep needs of our soul even without pressure. We have needs for peace, needs for a sense of well-being, Needs for relationship, needs for value, needs for worth, needs for accomplishments. At the deepest level, our efforts will all, our efforts to fill those will always lack something if they are ungrounded from God. And they will always leave us with a sense of, that's not quite it. The deepest longings of the soul can only be met by God. And we try to meet being known by him. He is the one in whom all other longings find their satisfaction in the appropriate measure and in the appropriate time. Now, who knows how long Hannah had been getting that extra portion? Who knows how long Elkanah had been offering to be what she needed? But this time, she's at a breaking point. So what does she do? And what can we do if we happen to find ourselves in a breaking point, but not just at a breaking point, at any moment, even right now? She goes to God in all her anguish. She brings all her frustration, even all her fears about whether God has actually forgotten her or whether it's true that God has closed her womb. She comes to him and she pours out her soul. No pretending, no putting on airs, nor highly religious language, no sugarcoating. She is raw because God can take it. God would rather have our raw emotions than our indifference. When was the last time you poured out your soul to God? When was the last time you brought yourself before God as you are? The good, the bad, the ugly, the pretty. What's stopping you? Usually what stops us is lies about what God might think of us, what we think about God, and what we think about ourselves. The truth is God sees us, God knows us, God welcomes us, God invites us. God is worth trusting with the care of our souls, the most vulnerable parts of who we are. He's worth and the parts we can't seem to break free of. Last week, we mentioned that it's helpful to pay attention to how God is referenced in prayers. Last week... The people that prayed, prayed to the sovereign Lord. This week, Hannah calls out to the Lord Almighty. That phrase, Almighty, conveys a God who has the armies of heaven at his disposal, who can accomplish the impossible. If we are going to trust our deepest longings to someone, it's important, one, that they love us, but it helps if we believe that they have the power to do something about our deep longings. God has to be Almighty if we're going to turn to him in our deepest anguish and in seemingly intractable situations. He's got to, be, got to believe that he's able to change the unchangeable if we're going to bring him the situations that feel like dead ends or that feel like tipping points. 
Because in those moments when we are looking for relief, for someone or something to meet the deepest need of our soul, we've got to believe that the one we're coming to can actually do something about it. Here's what Hannah prays. She prays, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And then she invokes a particular vow and right that people had to dedicate people to God. Note that what she asks of God is that God would see her, that God would see her situation, that God would remember her, and that God would make it obvious to everyone that he has not forgotten her. That God would make it obvious to everyone. That's what she is hungriest for. She is hungriest for God to make known that he has not forgotten her, that he sees her, that he remembers her. She is hungriest to have a clear connection to In the hardest moments, it makes a difference to know that the one who has all power sees us, knows us, and is working for our good. That is who God is. God is not just all-powerful. God is not just loving. God just doesn't see us. God just doesn't know us. God just isn't working for our good. God is all those things and so much more together. And that's why he's worth longing for, hungering for, pursuing, bringing our deepest longings to. Where do you need to feel that today? That God sees you, knows you, loves you, and is working for your good with all power. Here's what happens in Hannah's story, one of the things that says, we didn't read it, it says, and the Lord remembered her. The Lord remembered her. And everyone can tell from that day on that God has not forgotten Hannah. That God has not left. Where do you need to feel it and see it in such a way that people around you would be able to say, God knows this person. God remembers this person. God is acting in favor of this person. Identify that. And then, how are you going to pursue God with that longing this week? It's not enough to identify it. How are you going to be like Hannah and bring yourself before the Lord? I want to create some space for prayer. And I've got some prayer people. Uh, prayer people, a couple of them are going to be in the front, a couple of them are going to be in the back area. Um, you may need prayer. You may need someone to stand with you right now to be able to say, God sees you. God remembers you. To help you own and engage that, come to the people for prayer. We have, we have an office next door to this. You can go there and pray if you feel like you need to. They can take you there and pray with you. But don't leave with a sense of feeling forgotten a need to be remembered, a need to have God intervene in such a way that people would know that God is with you. Don't leave with that need today. Bring it before the Lord. Prayer people, would you stand as I pray? Would you come to the places that, that you're going to be so that people would know? Um, we've got four of them. Two of them are going to be in the front. Two of them are going to be in the back. I'm going to pray for us to open this moment. The worship team is going to sing. And as they sing, if you need prayer, come get prayer. But bring yourself before the Lord. Ask God to remember you this week. and Resolve to pursue him. Let's pray. God, some of us are in deep anguish today.
Some of us are in deep grief. For some, that grief is so long, has been going on so long, we've become, they've become accustomed to that anguish so much that it's become calcified. It's become the norm. They don't remember, we don't remember what it's like to not feel the grief, to not feel the loss, to not feel the anguish, to not feel the despair, to not feel forgotten. Lord, light a fire that says that there could be something different. That this is not what they are destined for or designed for. Lord, Lord, whisper in their ear as loud as they need to hear it, I remember you right now. Lord, give us a sense of where you want to show yourself as the God who is powerful, the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who acts, the God who loves, the God who remembers. And Lord, may we all, like Hannah, bring ourselves fully and truly to you. No hiding, no pretending, knowing that you are worth trusting every part of our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.